stay for five years. I've devoted my life for this. I've gone to all the classes. I've taken the copious notes. I've gone and talked to my professors when I didn't understand. I've joined the study groups. I've stayed up countless hours at night preparing for this day, and I'm ready. This day was made for me. I got a great night's sleep last night. I ate a great breakfast, and I'm going to nail this test. Oh, Lord, <laughs> this day, it, it snuck up on me. Time for med school boards, and uh, I know it's all, it's all or nothing. Whew. Years of daydreaming through classes, texting all my boring teachers were going on and on and on. Late night hangouts, and oh gosh, I mean um, study sessions. Oh, Lord, if I ever needed you, it was right now. Please, please help me right now. I haven't studied like I should have. And now I'm coming in on a wing and a prayer. Can any of you relate to Dr. Callie? Have any of you ever taken a test and prayed a prayer like that? I can relate, and there may have been a test or two like that. Maybe if you haven't prayed before a test like that, you've prayed before a job interview or a big project at work. Or maybe with it being Advent, you're now thinking, okay, presents and decorations and family and oh, and blah, 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 and you got the big meal coming up and you're thinking to yourself, I'm exhausted, Lord, I'm coming in on a wing and a prayer. Help me. You guys familiar with that phrase, on a wing and a prayer? I see a lot of heads nodding. The earliest I found reference to that was in a film in 1942 called The Flying Tigers. John Wayne was in it, and his character Jim Gordon asked the desk clerk, any word on that flight yet? The desk clerk replied, yes, sir, it was attacked by the Japanese, and it's coming in on one wing and a prayer. The phrase was taken up by a couple of songwriters in the next year, 1943, Adamson and McHugh, the song titled Coming In on a Wing and a Prayer, and their song goes like this. One of our planes was missing, two hours overdue. One of our planes was missing with all its gallant crew. The radio sets were humming, we waited for a word, then a noise broke through the humming, and this is what we heard. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. Coming in on a wing and a prayer. Though there's one motor gone, we can still carry on, coming in on a wing and a prayer. 1943, any of you remember that song? Thank you. <laughs> it's interesting how that phrase started in the early 40s and yet still continues today 
Oftentimes today you'll just hear the shortened phrase when someone stands up and says, I'm winging it. If you had to choose which doctor to go to, which would you choose? Because at least we know she's praying. Would you choose the one who made a habit of study or the one who has come in on a wing and a prayer? Last week, we began a mini-series called Luke's Med School Application, and I challenged you guys over this past week to read through the Gospel of Luke. I challenged you as you were reading to look for a word or phrase or several words or phrases that jumped out at you. Would have been as if you were sitting down for an interview or on a job application when they ask you, tell me a few words about yourself. That's when you write down those key words. That's what I was hoping you were looking for in the Gospel of Luke. As I read this past week, the idea of prayer kept jumping out at me. So we're going to talk about that this morning. And I can tell you that uh, I won't be winging it, but I will be beginning by praying. Join me. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the beginning of Advent where we can wait, where we can expect where we can hope for the coming Christ. God, we thank you that we can sing Christmas songs that are so rich in, uh, in meaning and theology and, and word. I thank you, Lord, that we can take a look at your word, the gospel message as found in Luke. I pray, Father, that as we dive through, as, as we take God's strokes this morning, that you would open our eyes to what Luke was trying to tell us about you through his story. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A wing and a prayer. You've heard the history and now the meaning. I think most of you know that it means something along the lines of coming in in poor condition, but barely making through, barely managing to get the job done. Dr. Callie, who had been up all night on Facebook, slept through lectures, hadn't done much study, she was coming in in poor condition. Would she be able to get the job done? Maybe. She was smart enough to get into med school. She was smart enough not to flunk out in the previous five years, so maybe she would have got the job done, barely, on a wing and a prayer. As I read the Gospel of Luke this week, with this phrase in the back of my mind, I had to wonder, did Jesus live on a wing and a prayer? To answer that, I spent some time looking at his prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's in Luke chapter 22. And if we look just at that story, and nothing else in the gospel, we could say that Jesus did live by a wing and a prayer. The scene starts after the Last Supper with the disciples, after Jesus predicts Peter's denial. This is verse 39 in chapter 22. Then, accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. I find this, this challenge, this exhortation a little interesting right now because I figured Jesus knew the future and one could argue that he should have been telling his disciples that from the very beginning. From the moment he said, hey, follow me and, and pray that you won't give in to temptation. But he waited, so it seems, until the last minute. And this last minute, and this continues as we keep reading, verse 41, Jesus walked away about a stone's throw, and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me, yet I want your will to be done, not mine. 
Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Was Jesus in poor condition? Sweating drops of blood? And we could argue this wasn't Jesus' finest moment. Praying that the Heavenly Father would save him, would sweep in and take him away from this. But, oh, I guess if I have to do this, I, I will. You see any sort of small similarities between Jesus' prayer and prayer? Oh, no. Lord, bad things are about to happen. Maybe I should start praying now. That doesn't sound like any of our prayer lives, does it? Waiting till the very last minute to cry out to God. Waiting until we're on the edge of chaos to, to say, okay, we need you now. Back to Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. I recognize that you may be thinking I'm painting Jesus' prayer life in a bad light. So in order to prove my point, I wanted to look at a couple of other major events in Jesus' life where I would have thought, okay, I would have prayed during that time. I would have thrown up some sort of winging it type prayer. So I looked at several of these passages. I began with his temptation in the wilderness. I figure if I was in the wilderness, having not eaten for 40 days, being tempted by the supreme tempter, I would have thrown up a couple of prayers. But in Luke, Jesus didn't. The gospel writer didn't mention any prayer that Jesus made during that time. Is that an oversight on Luke's part? I'm sure he prayed sometime over those 40 days. But Luke doesn't mention it. Next, I looked at Jesus in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. You guys know the story. The waves are crashing. It's chaos. Jesus is in the boat sleeping, and he gets woken up by a, save us, save us, we're going to die, we're going to drown. You would think that the first thing coming out of a dead sleep, out of Jesus' mind and mouth, would be, oh, Lord Jesus, help us now. But it wasn't. He simply rebuked the wind and the rain, and then he scolded the disciples for having little faith. After looking at that story, I looked at the time Jesus raised Jairus' daughter. You guys know the story. Jairus, he came to get Jesus and said, my daughter is dying, please come with me. And, and Jesus came with him, and most of the way there, somebody came from the house and said, don't bother the teacher anymore, your daughter is dead. But Jesus keeps going, and he pulls his three closest disciples, and they go into the house, and you got to figure. you got to figure that at that point, Jesus says, okay, three disciples, hey, hey, Dad, come on over here, let's hold hands and pray, because we're going to need it right now. Jesus didn't pray before that time. At least Luke didn't record Jesus praying. One more. After the transfiguration, when he came down the mountain and healed the, the, the boy with the demon in it, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus tells his disciples, this kind only comes out through prayer. But in the Gospel of Luke, no prayer is mentioned. The author doesn't mention prayer at all in his discussion. Why? Because he thinks Jesus should live on a wing in a prayer? I think, now that you guys are all slightly uncomfortable that I'm saying Jesus rarely ever prays, and see you guys squirming, I think that the author, Luke, is trying to show us Jesus didn't need to throw up these winging it type prayers. Not because he was fully God. But because as fully man, Jesus lived such a lifestyle of prayer that at any given moment, he was already connected to the Father. 
He had already developed them a habit, a way of life that had prayer central. And we can see this as we take a bird's eye look at the Gospel of Luke and his emphasis on prayer. Jesus lived and demonstrated a lifestyle of prayer. He lived and demonstrated a lifestyle of prayer. Very quick rabbit trail. Bear with me on this. As Christians, name three times you're pretty much guaranteed to pray during the day. Okay, so name them. Breakfast, lunch, dinner. Sweet. You know what? Jesus prayed before meals too. There was this time where there was a big crowd, and and Scripture tells us Jesus took the five loaves of bread and two fish, looked up to heaven, and blessed them. Everybody had enough to eat. At the Passover meal, before he was taken into custody, Luke 22, 17 said, Then Jesus took a cup of wine and blessed it. A couple of verses later, it says he took some bread, blessed it. Another meal, Jesus had taken a long walk on this road to Emmaus, and before he ate, he called his disciples together. And Luke 24, 30 says, as they sat down to eat, Jesus took the bread and blessed it, and he broke it and gave it to him. Just like us, Jesus prayed before meals. Okay, back off my rabbit trail, although that did kind of fit what we're going I'm arguing that Jesus did not live by a wing and a prayer, and he didn't need to because he was so connected to the Father already by a lived and habitual pattern or a lifestyle of prayer. He didn't have to throw up the help me God prayers. We see this throughout Luke's gospel. In the times of major life events, we see Jesus praying. Before he was commissioned, before he was sent out to do his earthly ministry, we see Jesus praying in Luke chapter 3. It says one day the crowds were coming to get baptized, and Jesus himself was baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened up. We see him in this posture of prayer again as he sends out the invitations to join his club, to become part of the inner circle, the the Jesus gang. Luke chapter 6, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed all night long to God. At daybreak, he called together his disciples and chose 12 of them to be his apostles. We see Jesus praying again prior to his appearance starting to glow and prior to the conversation with Moses and Elijah in chapter 9. He spent time interceding for Peter before Pete decided to deny him in Luke chapter 22. Jesus had a lifestyle of prayer before significant life events. And we would expect that. I think most of us do that same thing. But more than simply taking time to pray before big changes, Jesus also talked a lot about prayer. He had prayer on his mind a lot. Luke chapter 6, verse 20, the the passage that is Luke's equivalent to the Sermon on the Mount, it says, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, and he went on about how some people are going to be blessed and some people are going to be sorrowful and and then some people aren't going to like you because you're followers of me. And to those people, Jesus says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. You know, mid-conversation, he just throws out this bit about prayer. As he was sending his disciples out for a little on-the-job training, he reminded them to pray. Luke chapter 10, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord who was in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Later on, Jesus was sitting there overlooking the temple. 
And he talked about some future events that we're going to have. And he once again reminded his disciples to pray. Then there was this other time. Luke 18, verse 1, says, One day Jesus told his disciples a story. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show them that they should continue in prayer. Always pray, never give up. The story was about a persistent widow who kept bugging a judge until he finally granted her justice. From that story, he told another story about two people in the temple praying, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And Jesus said, the one who prayed, oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner, is the prayer whose prayer was answered. These are significant teachings on prayer, yet all in the context of one day Jesus told his disciples a story. Have you guys ever told stories? I'm I'm a chronic storyteller. And yet how often do my stories involve prayer? Praying before meals. Praying before major life events. Small talk and stories about prayer. Jesus even used prayer as a way of correcting or adjusting. When Jesus was frustrated with how church was being done in the temple, he spoke of lack of prayer. You guys know what he said. He called them and said, the scriptures declare my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have turned it into a den of thieves. And there was a different time when he was rebuking the teachers of religious law, when he had called together the pastors and preachers and and priests and scribes, and he gave them four reasons they would be greatly punished. He said, first, you walk around in your Sunday best out in the marketplace, you know, down at Safeway, and you do that so people will greet you well. Second, he said, you guys take the best seats in church, and then when you go down to the potluck, you make sure you're closest to the food as well. And he says, third, you guys are cheating widows out of their stuff, their houses. And fourth, Jesus says, listen to this, you make long prayers to make it sound like you are pious, to make it sound like you are righteous. Four reasons you're going to be greatly punished. One of those reasons is because you pray long prayers and you don't really mean it. Jesus took prayer seriously, and he knew that a prayer life should never be about winging it. The Gospel of Luke proves that prayer for Jesus was a habit. It was foundational. When news got out about the great things he was doing, what did Jesus do? Maybe my favorite passage in Luke, 5.16, Jesus withdrew to the wilderness to pray. Other times when masses of people were surrounding him, Jesus would leave the crowds to pray alone. That's Luke chapter 9. There were times he'd take his disciples with him. One of those times in Luke chapter 11, the disciples were watching him praying again, and they came to him afterwards and said, Jesus, teach us to pray. So he did. And then he told them a couple more stories to emphasize their need to be persistent in prayer. He said, keep knocking. Keep seeking. Keep asking. Jesus taught prayer. He lived prayer. And the author of Luke made sure that prayer was central in his Jesus story. Remember last week I told you Jesus did his research? His research showed that Jesus prayed. So what? Right? Now what? What what does that have to do with us? I'm taking a preaching class and they tell me I'm supposed to give you guys an application. So two things this morning. First, kind of big picture. My hope is that after hearing this, you recognize Luke's focus on prayer. You see the significance of it. And over these next 
four weeks, these next three weeks now, as we look at broad strokes of Luke, you'll see these, these overarching themes and you'll realize as we dive deeper into the text in the, close, in the turn of the year that these themes keep coming up. And oftentimes they are the tie that binds the stories together. So come January, be listening for the emphasis on prayer. Now secondly, and here's your take home for today, I want you guys to evaluate how your ongoing conversation with God is. Is your life based on a wing and a prayer? Or do you have a continual conversation with God? Have you made it a habit to pray? Only you guys can answer that. I know that after reading through Luke, I've once again been reminded that my prayer life needs work. No offense to Dr. Callie, who's sitting there, but I would want the kind of prayer life that Dr. Mike showed in his study habits. One where I would be able to say I've been faithful and regular. I've talked with God and with others about prayer. I've, I've spent time in group prayer and, and prayer on my own. That when big things happen, I wouldn't need to throw up a wing and a prayer because I'm already so connected to God. Over this next week, I want to challenge you guys to read the Gospel of Luke again. Look for that overarching theme of prayer and then evaluate your own prayer life and talk to somebody about it. We're going we're gonna to finish this message the same way we started the morning service, in some time of silence. We're going to allow you guys to, to talk to God and to say, hey, God, what do you want me to do with this morning? How is my prayer life? What would you like me to do with it? So let's just spend a couple morning, a couple minutes in prayer.